Welcome to Stories of Growth, a series of conversations with modern day business leaders who share their stories of growth and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm William Rowe, founder and CEO of Protein. I've been helping businesses grow for over 20 years, and I've always been fascinated with the people behind these businesses, where they've come from, and what drives them forward. I think audiences are more responsive to artists and brand collaborations that somehow feel authentic, which obviously can't be pinned down that well. I mean, you know that it's digital, but it doesn't feel digital. For this episode, I sit down with Lucy Hardcastle, an artist who creates central storytelling for a digital age. A self-confessed art geek, she's trying to bring more tactile and tangible experiences into our increasingly digital worlds. This was recorded in our studios in Shoreditch. Welcome, Lucy. Stories of growth. Great to have you here. And uh, excited to hear your story. And um, let's just start with maybe just a little introduction as to what people might know of your work in Mm -hmm. terms of maybe some of the recent projects they might have seen. And um, just a little bit about what you're up to at the moment. Yeah, I would um, kind of describe myself as a digital artist and I'm also uh, the creative director of my own studio and I would say that I'm known for work that is very visual first and foremost and uh, is also quite sensual. That's a word that's quite often used to describe my work. It's a great word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a nice thing to be able to kind of coin, I suppose. Um, and I would say that uh, what I'm really passionate about is uh, design interaction and experience design and kind of trying to find ways to make work that really is able to move people. Um, but I would say kind of the bread and butter of what the studio does is a lot of animation and moving image. That's kind of the most straightforward thing to be able to kind of comprehend through my practice. And a couple of recent projects that you might have been known for, you're most proud of? Yeah, I guess I'm probably most known for the project I did with Chanel and ID magazine, uh, which was called Intangible Matter, and it was for their Fifth Sense platform. And that was kind of my baby and my first ever kind of web-based interactive project. Um, and Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> I've seen it. It's great. But for <laughs> those who you. haven't... So uh, we describe it as an online interactive experience, which in layman's terms is just an interactive website that is kind of responsive in real time to what the user is doing with their mouse. Um, And it was kind of a year in the making and it was my first real opportunity to make something that could be uh, interactive and accessible, like globally accessible. So that was really incredible. And to be able to collaborate with amazing programmers and just have an amazing team. You wouldn't necessarily associate the word sensual with the internet in Mm. a touchy-feely, tactile, Mm. tangible. So tell me about your thinking there in terms of your your previous 
not necessarily experience, but mm -hmm. I guess your previous approach and how that translated in that project specifically? Yeah, well, as I think quite a lot of people know, I studied textiles and that was my background. And it made total sense for me at the time because it was about uh, colour and pattern and texture and process. Um, and so I thought that I was going to be a print designer and then I kind of realised that I wasn't really challenged or fulfilled by uh, making something that was just flat and just a flat image that could be applied to a garment or an interior. Um, so it kind of turned into this thing of um, me, I guess, latching on to the digital art movement that was going on in the internet when uh, maybe Tumblr was at its kind of highest, maybe in the early, like, tens? Is that what they're called? Like the 2010s? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Seven, eight years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. And it was very much... I, I just wanted to make work that you, you understood uh, what was going on in a materiality sense without necessarily it having to be right in front of you. Um, so one phrase I've kind of coined in my work is this idea of wanting to lick the screen. You know, you want to eat it and taste it even though it's maybe not edible. Or <laughs> <laughs> that clean. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how does that... I'm great. As I said, I'm a big fan of your work. So you. um, and it, I'm excited to hear those you know, the foundation stories, but where those ingredients yeah, that are defining who you are now and you mm. know, obviously where you're going to go. So maybe we could go back to there in terms of some of those early inceptions or experiences or defining moments that, mm -hmm. you know, on reflection, you were like, oh, yeah, it was this or mm. it was that. Yeah. Maybe we touch on a few of those. Well, I would say that I was very much the art geek at school would just be in the art department all the time and then on the flip side I would spend the whole weekend like editing the HTML coding on my MySpace profile page you know <laughs> yeah. that, that dates it yeah. yes. yes exactly okay, um, and I think the first uh, real um, thing that still influences my work to that day from back then is uh, the pre-Raphaelite and Renaissance um, art movement and this idea of like trompe l'oeil and everything that they're holding has um, sorry, everything that they're holding has a symbolism to it um, and you know you have this beauti these beautiful it goes back to fabric really, these beautiful fabrics that were very trompe l'oeil you know if you go up to it it's a mess but far away it's an it's an illusion and i feel that, that really still connects to the work that i do when i think about just the playfulness of it playfulness and the idea of like digital materials which are really just layers of information but it it's still this idea of shadow and highlight to create something that appears to be 3d mm-hmm um, so what, where did that come from? Do you think? I mean, in terms of these, your mm -hmm. two roots, which is art and mm -hmm. code, mm -hmm. let's say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's quite a left brain, right brain, yeah, right? Yes. In terms of creative and logic, yeah, it, it, that's always been there. You think that's from your parents? What? I I mean, my 
Both my parents are creative and quite entrepreneurial, so I grew up in a household where I guess that was kind of instilled in me whether I wanted it to be or not. What, you know? what category of creative? So my dad is an illustrator, has been since forever, uh, and my mum was like a, a jack of all trades. So like she was a feminist cartoonist for a while, or she made um, handmade uh, like greetings cards, birthday cards for a good while. Um, she was flipping houses when I was uh, a kid. So it was kind of like whatever needed to be done, she would just figure out how to get from A to B and just do it and get on with it. So it was a very much get on with it, tough love kind of household. Um, so it wasn't necessarily about wanting to also be creative and maybe please my parents. It was just what I happened to be good at. But also parents understanding the freedom or mm -hmm. en enabling that freedom for you to explore yeah. and nurture that curiosity. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so in terms of that um, you know, college, school you know, process, where you know what was picked up through that in terms of that exploration or that development shall we say mm. well I think I obviously knew I wanted to create work that was visual and from what age I mean nursery I would say <laughs> shit okay <laughs> that's like four yeah I, right. I mean I remember that's like great. you know potato stamps and watercolours were my favourite thing. Still are. <laughs> in nursery. Yeah, yeah, they're the best. Um, I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and there's, yeah. like, all over that, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I also, I think I wanted to, from quite early on, wanted to make things that were 3D and had movement to it, which I think why is why I went towards textiles, because at least it has this 3D-ness mm -hmm. to it. And I was always interested in fabrics and how people wear them and what they're used for and all the association that goes with it. But yeah, I s kind of slowly realized that it wasn't necessarily uh, challenging for me. And I did a lot of interning when I studied at you know fashion houses and- Where were you at college? Chelsea for my BA um, mm -hmm. and then I did my MA at the RCA mm -hmm. um, but yeah I was interning and would just see people crying at work and it was like if anyone's going to make me cry at work it's going to be me you know <laughs> it's going to be myself so yeah it just I think I all of those things combined just made me a super independent person that it only made sense to kind of create something for myself really so you came straight out of college and set up as a, on your own? Yeah, so I started doing freelance work um, and then a year after my BA, uh, I decided to go to the RCA to study a course called Information Experience Design, which was much more kind of towards what I was leaning towards, not to say towards the Information Experience Design. Yeah. What does that, those are three words that don't yes. usually go together. So imagine, interactive design mm -hmm. but it's grounded in research it's grounded in information okay so you could describe it as um anything you see at the science museum it's about something that's factual yeah but it's also something that is playful you know great 
yeah. That sounds like a great course. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I set up my studio while I was there, so I was working full-time the whole time. Um, and my uh, consulting partner, Laura, who I still work with today, um, when the Chanel project came in, she was like, you know, you know what, you need to set up something that can kind of... You c everything you do can exist under one banner, mm -hmm. which made total sense. Um, so we set up a limited company, and it was a great way to be able to have a whole roster of people that we work with and do projects with multiple different outcomes, but it all be under the same roof, mm -hmm. essentially. Great. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so tell me a few more about these projects and uh, maybe let's sort of divert into the brand world if we're talking about mm -hmm. Chanel and ID uh, and maybe some recent collaborations uh, that you've worked on with brands. Yeah, so I've recently uh, done a project with Adidas. Ooh. I um, did a project with uh, Shiseido towards the end of the year, which... Um, was actually really interesting and wasn't it wasn't a traditional beauty advert but it was actually to uh, visualize um, the future concepts within beauty so things like transhumanism um, and identity which was kind of amazing things to have to grapple with mm -hmm. um, and then I've also been uh, making things that weren't necessarily for brands but more for spaces uh, I just made a video that's uh, going to be in a shopping mall in Shanghai, which is really fun. Um, so, yeah. And tell me about <laughs> that experience of brands mm -hmm. and working with brands, mm -hmm. positive and negatively. You know, yeah. we are in a brand world. You know, we run a brand agency. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's a necessity. But from, a, from an artist's point of view, mm -hmm. maybe just touch on that in terms of positive and negatives. Yeah, well... I guess I'm quite lucky that I do have at least some part of my brain that is business orientated because <laughs> I don't think very lucky. I don't think everyone could kind of, you know, put up with maybe working with a brand and dealing with all the feedback that comes from those projects. So, um, I definitely uh, I definitely get joy from um, making something that everyone is happy with and kind of not rocking the boat um, and at the same time I think it's taken me a few years to be able to kind of put my foot down when it needs to happen and kind of bending less and less of what I want to do because I think brands come to me and they want it to feel like my work and my vision but obviously there's always got to be some compromise that goes mm -hmm. with that um, so yeah, I think uh, I really, I actually really enjoy like the treatment process and the concept process of all of that stuff. Um, but I do find sometimes that uh, they think they want one thing, but by the end, it's just become diluted. Not you know? how that feels. Yes, <laughs> of course. And maybe just zooming out a bit, arts artists, art community, you know, brand, client worlds. What's, you know, what's your general feeling about the future of this? And, and I know the world has changed dramatically from Arts Council funding and supporting the arts. And, you know, there's some great positive stories, but there's also a huge amount of negative stories. Mm -hmm. 
and you know brands filling some of that role to enable mm -hmm. artists mm -hmm. you know Chanel being one obviously mm -hmm. what's your view on that in terms of just it's is it a dilution mm. is it a lack of integrity mm. I mean where do you sit in that argument an argument discussion shall yeah, we say yeah. well I definitely think there's a, a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it and it's probably quite obvious that things are going to become more and more blurred but I think um, I think audiences uh, are more responsive to artist and brand collaborations that somehow feel authentic which obviously can't be pinned down that well but I mean how would you define that I think I would define that as I mean in your in your yeah. case of what would not feel authentic something that feels anything that feels forced anything that feels like they've just taken something and found a way to just stamp themselves on it um, I think it comes down to uh, putting respect and trust into the designer or maker or artist that's involved. I mean, I think I was so lucky with Chanel because it was a colossal project and I was only just one of a series and they're at a level where they can throw money at anything and it doesn't, as long as it is cool and they're happy with it, it doesn't have to bring back the numbers but actually what was really interesting about that project was that they found that the you know keeping an eye on the data of it they found that the connection between my work and people going from there to uh, the Chanel website and buying stuff there was actually a really strong link which I was genuinely surprised about but I think it shows that when you let uh, the artists do what they are good at without pulling on the reins too much, mm -hmm. um, I think it can work really yeah. well. And it's alignment of values, ultimately, in terms yes. of your values, of what you uphold and the brands as well yes. that come through. Yeah. So in terms of that future, where, I mean, what is, what is the future for you, for your studio? <laughs> uh, where, where, where's, where, where are you heading? Well, I think I really want to make more work that is for spaces and is experiential and isn't necessarily about uh, a certain uh, look or a certain, you know, showing off a certain product. I would love to just be hired to create a feeling that's kind of <laughs> a certain feeling, a certain emotion. Is, me, is that too, like, poetic? And no, it's great. <laughs> Give me more detail about feelings. Well, Fill a room with happy gas. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it was, uh, maybe it was Wallpaper Magazine who said that my work made them feel like calm, but like a bit sick at the same time. <laughs> Is that good? No, I thought that was great. <laughs> at least you felt something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love making work that... But, you, but, but that, that's, that's mm. where it starts. Mm -hmm. Or is that where it ends? I mean, do you start with what, what feeling do I want to create? Or is it less explicit than that I think it's finding a way to m make work truly emotive yeah uh, but is that at the beginning or during the process I think during okay you don't set out with this is going to make people feel calm and a bit sick no because <laughs> I think um, I think the best work is when you you only um, 
you know, you only drop a few things into the tank of stuff. It's not about creating. Meaning? <laughs> it's not about creating all the props and you can say, I can guarantee that this will happen. Of course. It's leaving room for s the spontaneity of being human. To exist. Yes. <laughs> I like that. So what feeling... All right. What are your favorite feelings? Um, my favorite feelings are maybe like the most intense ones, but like allowing it to happen. So maybe being really joyful. Um, I mean, I love going to like art galleries and feeling uncomfortable from the work, but not really knowing why or trying to figure out why. Um, I think like eroticism is something that people connect a lot to my work and maybe is something that is very subconscious um the amount of times i do a storyboard and my animator is like how have you managed to put a vagina in <laughs> every project that we've done together <laughs> um or things like heartbreak can be like you know a really powerful amazing emotion that could be maybe like channeled differently we could you know i'm all about finding ways to like reconnect and realign how we use our senses <laughs> i like that what, give me some other example worlds that are out there that i mean from inspiration or yeah relation yeah i mean i think i am very much about textures yeah. as well so um i love anything that is like silky, velvety, suede like astroturf is a great sound and texture. Um, the flowers are like incredibly soft if you really kind of touch petals properly. <laughs> um, yeah, anything like either super soft or super abrasive, I love. <laughs> There's some contradictions in your work, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm fine with Always that. Always the best frictions. Yes. <laughs> so what was... What's the dream project? Like, what's the idea? What is that? Is there something in there that you've always wanted to do and haven't quite, you know, mm. been able to get to yet? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would love to make something... Um, something within a room that is completely interactive and it may be built completely of screens that are interactive, but you can't tell that they're screens because the resolution is that good that we're, pro we're probably not there yet. Oh, in terms of the technology? <laughs> yeah, I don't think well, we're there yet. something out of CES might, have just, might, might get there, but yeah. yeah. Um, or maybe making a VR experience that actually uses... Um, all the the thing about VR is I feel like it's not there yet in terms of how good it can be and what its true like intention is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and AR, I, AR on the other hand, I don't know. Personally, mm -hmm. way more interested. Yes. Yeah, in its yeah, application and its use case and its potential. Yeah. And VR. I don't know. I, you're, yeah, it's not yeah. there yet. Yeah, and with AR, like, I'd love to make an app. I don't know what it would do yet. 
It would have a feeling attached. It would have a feeling attached. Whatever that feeling ends up being. Yeah. Um, and I. So wait, back to your room with the lifelike resolution screens. Yeah. What's on the screens? Well, I would love to make something that is a, about the Anthropocene that's in screens and it's all about um, almost creating a new balance within uh, speciesism and how humans feel that they are kind of above everything else and really like challenging the idea of like borders as well. Um, you know, elephants don't care about borders, for example. So I'd love to make something that's very uh, next nature and you kind of can't really necessarily tell that... I mean, you know that it's digital, but it doesn't feel digital. Mm -hmm. um, and I also really, really want to keep going with um, my Project Qualia, which is the touch-responsive glass, which is literally... You know, we haven't made a huge one yet because we need to find a factory that's willing to make the machine to do it for us. That doesn't sound cheap. No, no. I mean, it's not <laughs> as expensive as you think. How expensive? I mean, they well, it's like the 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 machine they have right now for it is like an oven, so you kind okay. of do it in batches, and that's a couple hundred pounds to do the to do the conductive coating yeah. with the rare earth metal. Um, Quickly, just explain Qualia project. Qualia. I mean, <laughs> so, I know yeah, what it is, but just for so, everybody else listening's benefit. Qualia is a touch-responsive piece of glass um, that is made out of blown, hand-blown glass that I did myself, and it has a uh, conductive coating on it that is from a rare earth metal that it's one of the ingredients in our phones. Um, but I've basically found a process that is able to extract it so that it can coat anything um, and it will remain clear rather than normal conductive materials that are either black or kind of silver because of its metal. Mm -hmm. um, so that process has only really been used by the science industry and the military. So I was kind of the first person to use it in a creative setting on a curved surface. So they're used to working with panes of glass. And I kind of came in with like a sphere blob. And they were just like, we don't know what to do with this. <laughs> who are you? <laughs> who are, yeah, who are you? After like all the begging emails. <laughs> So wait, where is this place that you're showing up with your blown glass? Mm. I mean, you know, it's, it's in the UK or is it? It's in the UK, okay. but I contacted a few places in Europe and these were the only people that were willing to, like, Respond help. to your nagging. Yeah, yeah, respond. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so back up to speed. Qualia, Plaid, big oven, bigger oven. Yeah, we want, we want to make, like, a cave How? of blown glass. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> How big is this cave? Like, a, you know, cave. A, a cave. I mean, I can imagine quite a big cave. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Definitely bigger than this room. Maybe the size of the, the protein studio. Uh, studio. All right, that's a big-ass cave. Yeah. That's a five-meter-high by <laughs> 50, 45, 40 meter long. Okay. That's the goal. And then what happens with the qualia? Mm-hmm. The big, what, what, what's the application other than its beauty? Well, we still don't know. 
<laughs> we still don't know what we could do with it. You're just asking the questions. Yeah. Pro provoking the questions. Yeah. I mean, we've been looking into making one that's responsive to sound, so it could kind of almost, you could almost have this blob on your desk of glass and it could almost react to the energy of the room. So it would be like a intuitive, um, what's the Vi word? Vibes barometer. Yes. So like a intuitive, um, oh, what are they called? You got to give me one that. <laughs> um, they're like from the 90s, the plasma. Oh, the, the yes. What are they called? Lava plasma lamps. Lava lamps. Yeah. An intuitive digital lava lamp. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess that kind of touches on the machine learning mm -hmm. discussion. Um, but in an ambient... In an ambient Execution. Way. Yeah. Except this one's going to be really big. Well, we want to do, like, desk-sized ones, <laughs> then cave-sized ones. <laughs> well, one cave one, please. Yeah. Form a cave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um... So what, what other projects? Anything else that you're working on that is getting you excited? And whether it's projects or materials or mm -hmm. textures or fabrics or... Mm -hmm. I mean, what's, what's interesting you at the moment? Well, right now um, I am working on a couple different things that are collaborative with people in the science industry, uh, in particular with King's College. Um, so that's one of the one of the areas is uh, neurology, so the brain and the idea of perception, um, and we've been kind of going in and like looking at all the different um, like MRI stuff that they have. So that's been really interesting to um, with a view to with a view to like make something that could uh, create certain emotions. Okay, going back to that again. So they have they have things there like tests. So rather for, than understanding what what is created, you can do it the other way around. Okay. I get, thought that could be fun. Getting scary, but yes. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, <laughs> getting a bit black mirror. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's really exciting You've to me. You've been through black mirror. Yeah. The, the recent one? No, not yet. Okay. Because I know it's going to take a while yeah. to do it. So I want to have a good chunk of time. Okay, good. <laughs> Let me know how you go on. Okay. Um, and I'm also obsessed with um, holographic projectors at the moment. Okay. But they're really, the good ones are really expensive. Yeah, they are very expensive. <laughs> so that's something that I would like love to have an opportunity to play with. Um, I just like the idea of having something floating in a room, you know? Well, it can be done like the Victorian way, which I think you know of, mm. the bouncing glass of yes. Kate Moss in um, the McQueen show. Yes, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which is 100 years old. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the new ones are phenomenal. Yeah. Let's go right, right back to the beginning. Uh, and you know, we touched on it a little bit in terms of your folks and your sort of upbringing. But maybe just, um, yeah, I mean, it sounded like it started at nursery, so maybe we'll go from nursery to school. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of those formative years or formative experiences, locations, mm -hmm. like maybe just touching on those in terms of what, what sort of 
defined who you now are or you feel has mm-hmm. defined who you now are in terms of some of those key moments? Mm-hmm. Well, I was born in London and then uh, I actually... Whereabouts? In Clapham. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then I spent my teens in Norfolk. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. Big twist there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was lucky to go to a really privileged school, but I was like pretty low on the like school hierarchy. So of course it didn't really foster the most ambitious people there because everyone was kind of already sorted in a way. Um, so it made me really driven to just want to leave and create my dream life of kind of being a creative. Um, and I'm really lucky. From school days? Yeah, from like high school. So even though I'm, I feel like I'm like at the beginning of my journey, it also feels like 10 years of just like nonstop obsessive, like working 12 hours a day kind of vibes, which I feel like we can't say we're proud of because uh, work, uh, the, the trends around work are kind of different now and everyone wants to look after themselves. Yeah, but it def- <laughs> depends what you, I was just talking to someone about this earlier, like, but it depends what you define as work. Yeah, yeah, because if you're passionate right? about it, does it feel like work? <laughs> Is it work? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. I come to work every day, but yeah. I love what I do. Yes. And is that work or is that play? Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's just one of definition. Exactly. Rather than ongoing obsession. Yeah. And the impact of you know positive and negative on your mental health mm-hmm. but yeah I think there is a, I, that to me is the and this isn't about solutions it's just more about clarifications mm-hmm. of if you love what you do then yeah. you know Absolutely. keep doing it and yes. that I would advocate to anybody as yeah. I do at any opportunity when asked so yeah. um you know that's never going to change yeah so interesting um Okay, so that was it. School, school was just the... And I had amazing teachers, art teacher, textile teacher, who were like, oh, you should do foundation in London. And it was like, duh, of course I should, you know? It's just like, ping, of course. Go straight back. And then that was the move to Chelsea. Yeah, so I, I actually did my foundation at LCF. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so I applied to Falmouth and LCF. And I got on the wait list to Falmouth and was like livid about it like how dare they (laughs) Um, and then decided because like I thought I nailed the interview (laughs) you're modest aren't you (laughs) well because when I got home from that I got the letter saying I got into LCF and it was like okay that wasn't a challenge (laughs) you know we've got to like accomplish everything (laughs) But you didn't get the you didn't get the offer from Falmouth. I did eventually, but I'd I'd already. You but, you, know. but you turned them down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just wanted to get it and then tell them no. Just to turn them down. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there's an insight. Oh, good. All right. So, um, uh, just in terms of, uh, I guess, how best to people to contact you. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the best route? I would recommend emailing me. Emailing is the best if you want to have a proper conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really like the whole DM thing. 
you you're know? not up on social. No, I am, but I just don't think it's very professional. Okay. If you really like want to work with someone, that's not the way I would go about it. Okay. So yeah. And your email emails on me. your website. Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. Final question: Who would you like to hear on the show? Any names, artists, designers, textiles, neurologists, oven builders? Mm, I would recommend, uh, or I'd also like to hear um, more of uh, Natsai Audrey Chiesa's story. And she's a, a synthetic biologist. Uh, she runs a company called Faber Futures. Um, and we've had a couple chats about potentially figuring something out. Um, but she has like an incredible brain and I'd love to kind of hear that more extrapolated into a podcast. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Lucy, thank you so much. Thanks um, for having me. Fascinating to hear your story. I wish you all success. Thank um, you. Yeah, we'll be tracking you as you go.